great uh, song and what a great reminder of the coming of the Lord Jesus. Are you ready? You know, uh, there was a time when I was uh, preaching through Revelation, the Lord laid on my heart. Uh, I'd heard other people had done this, and I began to do this, and it really changed my day. I, I would wake up and desire for the first thought to be, good morning, Lord, will I see you today? And it really changed our perspective when we consider that any moment, at any day, we could see the Lord, whether we go home or He returns. But to live with that expectation, it'll change us. It really will. Well, greetings all the way across the river from Peoria, Illinois. We, uh, we are delighted to be able to be here. Uh, we're so thankful for our relationship with you. Uh, Bethany Baptist certainly sends you greetings here at Bethany Community as well as Living Hope. And we're excited to continue to exist to glorify God, as the front of your bulletin says. Uh, and one of the means which we intend to do that is by continuing to plant churches. So continue to, to pray that, uh, that uh, this body and the Bethany Baptist and Living Hope would continue to plant churches for the glory of the name of Jesus, that Christ might receive His due, that He's worthy of being exalted, and we would do that together. Well, today I would like to turn, ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 21. We're going to look, excuse me, Psalm 121. We're going to look at this well-known, well-loved psalm. Uh, as, we, as you turn there in your Bibles, I would like to ask uh, you to pray for uh, a woman in our church that most of you know, at least those of you who have connection with Bethany. Uh, pray for Juanita Kurtz. She's in ICU today. And I bring her name up not only just to, for prayer. Uh, she's had fibrosis in her lungs for so, some time, and she's on a full oxygen mask right now and uh, just not doing well. But I bring this up because uh, Friday night I went to visit her. She had just gotten into the hospital. And uh, I asked her, can I read scripture? And she said, sure. And I said, well, how about if I read you Psalm 121? And she, she just gave this big smile. She says, that was my mother's favorite psalm. And I started to read the psalm to her. And you know what? Before I read the words, she was just quoting it. Just quoting it. And... and and I thought, how precious to be able to have God's word treasured so that when you're in that, when we are in that state, and, and one day if the Lord doesn't return, we'll all be in some state like that, uh, near death, ready to, to uh, think about eternity, uh, to be able to have the knowledge that God is our helper, right? God is our helper. And that is true not only at the end of our life, but it's true at the beginning and all throughout, and that's what we want to rejoice in this morning. So... Let's stand, and I'm going to read Psalm 121 and read from the English Standard Version of the Bible. This is a song of ascent, and we're going to talk about what that means as well. But this is what the psalmist uh, writes. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. What a promise. What a promise. Please be seated and let's pray and ask that God would encourage us today. Father in heaven, I uh, am thankful for your grace in our life, your promise um, to be our helper, uh, 
to be our helper at all times, whether uh, we need help physically. And I, I would pray for Juanita, that dear saint who ministered to so many of our children over the course of her life, so effective. And Lord, we don't know what you have for her. You may have her to recover from this bout and, and continue to, to uh, uh, worship you and or, or you may have her not to, to have long for this world. We do not know, but you do. And we do know that you are a helper, and we pray that you would be her helper in this time. And Father, we're thankful that you're a helper, not only for our physical lives, but emotionally, in our families, when we find the brokenness of this world invading, even the, the, the area that we live. Father, you are a helper. And uh, Lord, spiritually, that you preserve our soul. Father, against uh, the onslaught of the evil one, against sin, against this world that wants to squeeze us into its mold, that you are a helper and that you, you will keep us, you will guard us, you will protect us, that you are the God who never slumbers, who never sleeps. And so, Father, I pray that you would teach us more about yourself, more of your greatness, that this morning as we worship you, Father, that, that we might have greater confidence, greater faith, greater joy, greater hope, and greater love as a result of what you teach us through your precious word. We delight in your word, Father, and Lord, I would pray that you would change us by it, that we would listen to it, be attentive, that you would convict us where we are walking astray, that you would encourage us where we are feeble, and that you would aid us uh, where you would have us to encourage others and to be your instrument in your hand. So sharpen us, Lord. Father, thank you for this church. What a great expression of your body, and I pray that uh, this church would ever be faithful. Raise up uh, men and women who would serve you, who would come to know you and delight in you, and then who would serve you. Father, that, that this church would be a bright light in this community and be used for your glory for generations upon generations to come. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, over 20 years ago, an adventurous friend who lived in Anchorage, Alaska, asked me to visit him for a summer adventure. One of the treks we planned was a two-day canoe trip along the Kenai River. Now, the Kenai River is a glacier-fed river. It's, uh, it's clean, it's beautiful, but it's, uh, it's aqua because it's filled with silt. And so, you dip your hand into the Kenai River and your fingers disappear just as they uh, they emerge below the surface of the water. So dense. Well, I was excited about this aspect of our journey. We were going to fish for some salmon and canoe along this beautiful waterway. And as we were planning this particular part of our adventure, my friend's roommate overheard us. <clears throat> and his ears perked up as he <clears throat> heard us talking about canoeing the Kenai. He said, are, are you guys really going to plan to canoe the Kenai River? He said, well, Yes, my friend replied, it's going to be great. Well, this roommate lacked my friend's boldness, and uh, he proceeded to tell us of all the dangers that we would uh, encounter there along the Kenai. He remarked that, uh, that the, because it's a glacier-fed river, that if our canoe would capsize, we'd have about 10 minutes to get out of the water before we would suffer hypothermia and d drown. Well, my friend was so very confident in his answer to that I felt our decision was a good one. We could handle this. We could handle this. 
The roommate proceeded to talk about the standing waves which could rock our canoe and tip it over and various rapids, etc. Well, our, our time on the Kenai was unbelievably gorgeous. Uh, the beauty of the Alaskan wilderness surpasses adequate description. We made it through many of those standing waves that we were warned about, uh, though not without some distress on my part, I might add. But my friend Skill, it, it comforted me. He was very skilled in the canoe. And toward the end of the afternoon of the second day, uh, we approached the part of the river where it was time to get our canoe out of the water and to go home. Uh, just beyond this part of the river where to get it out of the, the uh, uh, canoe, uh, the river became very rough, uh, very difficult, and very rapid. We didn't want to go any further past uh, that particular point. And so as we approached the shore, I made a tragic error in maneuvering the canoe, and in a flash, we were in the icy water. I remember opening my eyes, and, uh, and it was after some kind of struggling, and I opened my eyes, and all I saw was aqua. It was just this chalky aqua color in front of me. Uh, eventually, my head bobbed to the surface. I gasped for air, and I noticed it seemed like our canoe was going fairly slow while we were in it, but while I, my head was just above the water, it seemed like those trees along the bank were just flashing by, just racing by. And uh, this bank that we were approaching was really steep. I didn't think that I would be able to, to get out of the river and safely to shore. And I prayed, Lord help, Lord help. Um, and out of nowhere, a voice sounded, audible voice, grab this branch. <laughs> and I looked up and there was a lone fisherman. Now what was interesting about this was uh, the entire two-day journey we hadn't seen but a handful of people. And suddenly right there, right when we were going to disembark from the river, there was this fisherman. He'd seen what happened. He came rushing and he had this big stick and I grabbed onto it and he pulled me safely to shore. My friend also made it safely to shore and we rejoiced. How thankful, how thankful we were for God's help, God's help to us, to send us his person, his assistance at that moment. Let me ask you, do you need help today? Do you need help? You know, when God's providence smiles upon us, we forget that we need any help at all. We relax, we feel pretty confident in ourselves, our abilities to manage life, sufficient in our resources to meet the difficulties, the challenges that life might throw at us. We are enjoying the scenery as we're floating down this beautiful river. <laughs> but soon, some sudden trouble tosses us out of the canoe, and we plunge into the icy rivers that threaten to drag us down, down, down into the depths. You know, as I was inside the canoe, I didn't think I needed any assistance at all. I was pretty confident, pretty capable. It wasn't until I got tossed out that I realized, help, Lord, help! Do you need any help today? The trouble might be physical, a medical test that reveals a problem. It might be financial, a notice that you no longer have employment. Emotional, a, a child becomes gravely ill. Relational, a spouse that threatens to leave you. The trouble might be spiritual, a sin that continues to gnaw and enslave you, dragging you down with guilt and shame. 
You know, there are myriads of troubles that make us realize that we need help. Where are you today? If you don't feel your need for help today, I'm thankful for this peaceful stretch in your journey. But I want to tell you that this stretch will not last forever. This world is broken, and we experience its brokenness. Psalm 121 is given to us by God to prepare us for those days. Those days when we realize that we need help. If, when I ask you that question, you answer, yes, I need help now, understand that Psalm 121 is God's gracious provision to meet your need today, where you are. We find, as we open up our Bibles to Psalm 121, that God is a God who promises to be our helper, and that we can have confidence in Him as He brings help to us. We can remain calm in the midst of our distress when we know who He is and what He has promised to do for us. He keeps us through every kind of trouble, every kind of trouble that presents itself to us in our lives. So we open up our Bibles this morning with anticipation that God is going to encourage us. At the outset, we see uh, that this is a song of ascents. It's interesting, isn't it? Now, a song of ascents is a song in the Psalter that's sung by pilgrims as they journey up the mountains into Jerusalem. And they make these pilgrimages, these journeys, once, or excuse me, three times every year. So there are three annual feasts that pilgrims journey up the mountains into the holy city of Jerusalem to celebrate together. And God had established in the Psalter 15 particular songs that He wanted them to sing as pilgrims every year as they made their way trek up this mountain. This was the kind of a song that you might sing with your family as you drive on a long trip together. It's sort of like a Christmas carol that we would sing annually at a specific time to remind us of, of God's gracious redemption of of his incarnation. So God has set aside this song to help his people know and to remind themselves annually that he is their helper. Now notice what the psalmist says in verse 1. He says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? So the psalmist is sort of having a dialogue with himself. Remember that in those days, People had no real roads to travel upon, only footpaths and narrow valleys, up steep slopes, along rushing rivers and over mountain passes. It's not an easy trek to get you and your family up to Jerusalem. And this tough journey is filled with adversity. There are all kinds of dangers, dangers that we in our 21st century context almost are forgetful of. And so when the psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the hills, understand, I think he's saying, I lift up my eyes to these hills that we are going to have to traverse, and I see all the dangers, and there's a lot of things that worry me about this journey that I'm taking. He thinks of the hardships, he thinks of the dangers that this trip will bring to him and to his family. The hills represent danger. Danger from what? Well, robbers hide in those hills. Uh, They found caves and easy places where they can find lonely pilgrims that they could rob of their stuff before they arrived in Jerusalem. Not only robbers, but also uh, the danger of sunstroke as the sun could beat down upon them with such intensity. Or 
the danger of a chilling cold at night or from perilous falls as you're traveling across paths that are uneven and unsteady and there are deep banks and if your foot slips you might fall and break your leg and in those days a broken leg on a long trip could represent death or even fall deep into some canyon, some ravine and die there. Dangers from utter exhaustion, from thirst, from hunger. And as he's traveling, he's looking to the hills and he's thinking of these dangers. And he asks the question, from where does my help come? Here's a danger that's right in front of me. And he's, you almost have the sense that he's stressed as he writes these words. I look up to the hills and stress begins to build inside of his soul. Fear causes him to ask a question that's burning a hole within his soul. He says, where is my help going to come from? From where comes my help? Now in life, we can let ourself talk to us, or we can talk to ourselves. You get the distinction? There's a big difference between those two kinds of conversations. They're both internal dialogues. We can let ourself talk to us. That is, we say we can let our flesh speak fear and worry and anxiety. And we often do that. That's a natural course of a natural person's conversation. They begin to speak to themselves, and it's their flesh that's, that's speaking into their lives, and the more their flesh speaks into them, the more troubled they become by the circumstance, the hardship, the danger that is before them. Or we can talk to ourselves. That is to say, we can take God's Word, we can take His revelation, we can allow God's Spirit to speak to ourself. The psalmist's self is now speaking. As he asked the question, where will I find sufficient help? But then, in this realization that there is no place he can turn to which he can find sufficient help inside of himself, in the arena of his own resources, now he turns a corner and he begins to speak to himself, to his flesh, on the basis of God's word. He reminds himself of who God is and what God has promised to do for him. And this is what we need to do as we take this psalm. We need to take God's Word and we need to speak God's Word to our troubled soul. It's only there that we'll find peace. It's only there that we'll find help. For a time, the psalmist had stopped looking to God as his helper and was looking to his own sufficiency. He's looking up at the hills, but the problem is he's only looking at the hills and God now is averting his eyes up higher yet above the hills, upward to the Creator Himself, upward to God. And it's only when He looks past the danger, past the hardship, the hills that are in front of Him, and He looks upward beyond the hills and upward to God and gains a clear vision of God and His glory, it is only then that He finds a source, a solution, a peace, right? He says to Himself, my help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. Now, the psalmist, he knew this all along, but he had lost his focus on the Lord being the source of his help. He needed reminding. He needed to remind himself. He needed to speak truth into his own life. And when he encounters a danger that he knows is bigger than he is, at that moment, at that moment, he averts his eyes upward and beyond the danger to God himself, and there he finds his rest. You know, one of the reasons that meditating upon Scripture every morning is so vital to our lives is that we need to get our eyes off of the hills, the dangers, the hardships, the difficulties, the trials, and upward to God to gain a clear picture of God Himself. 
And so we meditate on Scripture, not because it's what good Christians do. We have a box we can check off. I read my Bible today. I'm a good Christian and walk along through life. But we read our Bibles in the morning so that the orientation of our life becomes on God. We gain a clear picture, a vision of who He is and what He has promised to be for us in the midst of our life. Before I preach a sermon, I speak sermon to my own soul because I need to hear what God is saying. So I want to speak to myself God's word. In fact, often in the morning, uh, Kimberly will hear me talking and as I'm getting ready in the bathroom and she'll say, who are you talking to in there? <laughs> I'm talking to myself. Now sometimes, I have to admit, sometimes my flesh is talking to myself. In other words, I'm, I'm listening to myself. Sometimes it's my flesh. But thankfully, often, God is orienting me as I grow in my Christian life to, to speak to myself, to speak God's word to my soul, to prepare me for the day. Because I know that left to myself, my own thoughts will lead me astray. It will lead me into heartache and discouragement and difficulty. So now the psalmist allows his thoughts upon God as his helper to expand, to broaden, to, to grow. And he meditates on four specific traits of God as his helper. If you're taking notes, there's a page in your bulletin whereby you can write, jot down these four traits of God as your helper and how encouraging it is to know that God himself is our helper. So who is this God who promises to help us? Who is he? Well, my help comes from the Lord who, number one trait that the psalmist considers about God as his helper is that he is the one who makes the heaven and the earth. <laughs> Look at verse two, my help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. This is a helper who spoke a word and the worlds came into being. Now, if such a powerful, awesome God is our helper, what problem in life is too big? <laughs> Think of the raw power involved in creating this wonderfully immense and complex universe. And as we think about that power, we know that power is God's. That he spoke a word, let there be. And everything that is came into being, how? By the power of his word. Here's the principle we want to learn. A clear vision of God's sovereign glory keeps our problems in right perspective. A clear vision, and that's what we're looking for in the morning as we gaze into Scripture is a vision of God's sovereign power and glory because then we find our problems in right perspective. We give in to fear, we give in to despair and anger when we think of God as small and our problems as large. When really the opposite is true. God is the one who's immense, infinite. Our problems are so tiny and set next to Him. You know, everybody loves the story of David and Goliath and they love it for a number of reasons, but what great truth God has for us in that very common, very simple story. David shared this biblical perspective that God is huge, He's enormous, He's awesome, He's mighty, He's great, He's, he's omnipotent, and that's the reason why he thought of Goliath as he did. I want to read to you from 1 Samuel 17. So David says to Saul, as after he hears Goliath's challenge, he's appalled by it that God would be... Uh, so uh, abused by the speech of this Philistine. And so Goliath comes, and uh, after issuing the challenge, David speaks to Saul. Saul says to him, you're not going to go out against this Philistine, are you? 
to fight with him. You're just a youth. You're a tiny little child. You're a boy. And this man is a man of war, Saul says. But David says to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for my father. And he says, and there was this lion, and I killed him. (laughs) And then there was this bear, and I killed him. By the power of the Lord, they both died. (laughs) How big is a lion next to a young teenage boy? How big is a bear next to a young teenage boy? David says, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he knows that he didn't kill the lion and the bear. The Lord who delivered me will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, okay, go, (laughs) the Lord be with you. A lion standing next to David, huge. A lion standing next to God, really tiny. (laughs) A bear standing next to David, huge. A bear standing next to David, oh, it's so small. You almost reach over and pet its little head. (laughs) Goliath standing next to David, you don't stand a chance, young man. Goliath standing next to God, he's a little tiny ant, tiny speck of dust. See, it's our perspective, doesn't it, that changes everything. Who is this God who promises to be our helper? Nothing is too hard for Him. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head above all. You rule over all. In your hands are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to everything. You know, I I don't know the size of your problem. It likely looks huge to you, and if you placed it next to me, it would be enormous. But I urge you to meditate upon the greatness of God and set your problem right next to His greatness and watch it shrink. A clear vision of God's sovereign glory keeps our problems in right perspective. God is the one who created those hills that are filled with danger. Do you think he'll be overcome by the problems found in them? God is the God who created Goliath. Do you think he'll be overcome by the problems that Goliath poses? Jeremiah 33, thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call unto me and I will answer you. Isn't that awesome? The God who created this world says, call to me when you're in trouble, and I will answer you, and I will show you my greatness. My help comes from the Lord, the psalmist says, who made the heavens and the earth. So God is powerful, but the next question we'd ask ourselves is, does He really care? Sure, He's enormous, He made it everything, (laughs) but does He care? Verses 3 and 4, we find that The God who made the heaven and the earth is also the God who keeps his constant eye upon me. Look at this in verse 3 and 4. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber or sleep. What, What a great image the psalmist paints for us. God is presented here as a bodyguard who keeps watch over his own to protect his own. And he never, ever, ever closes his eye in sleep. 
You notice the word keep there. Verse 3, he who keeps you will not slumber. But do you notice the rest of the psalm, how often the psalmist goes back to that word? Look at verse 4, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber or sleep. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you, protect you from all evil. Verse 7, again at the end, he will keep your life. Verse 8 again, the Lord will keep, he'll guard your going out and your coming in. There are a bunch of English words that are used to translate this Hebrew word for keep. Uh, protect, preserve, guard, watch over, care for. But the idea is of God's arms reaching around, drawing us in and protecting us, holding on to us, never letting go, never letting anything in of danger, of, of harm that is not intended by Him for His good purposes. The principle we learn is as Creator God, He is infinitely great, infinitely great, but in his greatness, he cares for infinitely small people like you and like me. Isn't that awesome? That in his infinite greatness, he doesn't move past greatness and into carelessness, but in his greatness, he cares for little, minute people like you and me. And I love the promises that he makes as well in this. He might underline the key word will as well all through these verses. I will keep you. I will. No matter where you are, I will keep you. No matter what the obstacle is in your life, I will keep you. No matter what hour it is, I will keep you. No matter what conditions you are enduring, experience, I will keep you. No matter who your enemy is, I will keep you. No matter how long it takes, I will keep you. Now and forever and ever and ever more. You see, uh, God is willing and He promises to work in, through, around, during, before, and after all of our problems. Everyone. God in His greatness, He could look right past us and we couldn't blame Him for it. But He obligates Himself to us by His promises. He sets His eyes upon us and never takes His eyes off of us. We cannot see God, He's a spirit, He's invisible, but He sees us in intricate, intimate, specific detail. I love Jesus' teaching in Matthew 10. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? That's a half a cent for each one. He says, uh, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father, apart from His design, apart from His ordaining that to happen. He cares even for sparrows that are worth less than half a penny apiece. Not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father. Jesus goes on to say, and even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Isn't that encouraging? <laughs> you know, that's, how many of us know how many hairs we have on our heads? <laughs> None of us knows that, Right? Uh, my wife, she got up early, she cut my hair this morning so I'd look nice for the people at Bethany Community Church. What a wonderful wife I have. As she combed it, I'm sure I lost some of my hair, right? <laughs> I didn't take really much notice of that, <laughs> but God did. Isn't that awesome? That God knows more about us and our problems than we know about us and our problems. <laughs> and that's the one who helps us. <laughs> And if he takes that care over us, to care about the number of hair that we have in our head, do you not think that he pays attention to much more weighty matters? God never closes his eyes on the condition of his people. I love a story about a, a, 
Methodist pastor by the name of Bishop Quayle. Decades and decades ago this took place, but this pastor, like many, was deeply concerned and overrun by many um, difficulties and anxious thoughts. So much was his anxiety that on this particular night he couldn't sleep. He had his Bible open on his desk uh, to Psalm 121. And he was just pacing the floor as he was talking to the Lord and trying to work out his problems, mostly on his own, trying to figure out the, the answer to the solutions, the things that he was facing as a, as a busy pastor. And finally he stopped and he laid his eyes upon Psalm 121. And Psalm 121 reminded him that his efforts to work for God rather than allowing God to work for him, through him, to him. Uh, were defeating, that this idea of working for God, expecting that he had somehow the results in his capable hands, it was just exhausting him. And he, sa- he says, as he tells the story, that he heard the Lord say, not in an audible voice, but in, through the scriptures, as God does, personally meet him, and he says, Quail, his name is Bishop Quail, Quail, there's no need for, for both of us to stay up all night. I'm going to stay up anyway. Why don't you go to bed and get some sleep? <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Here, Lord, we're, we're tossing, turning, pacing the floor at night. There's no sense in both of us staying awake all night. I'm going to stay up anyway. The Lord, he never slumbers. He never sleeps. Why don't you go ahead and get some sleep? And that's what he did. He, he left it in God's capable hands. He cast his care upon the Lord because he knew that God cared for him. And then he was able to sleep. What a ministry God has for us when we embrace him as our helper. So the God who helps us, he's the one who made the heavens and the earth. He's the one who keeps his eye upon us. But third, he's the one who shelters us from harm. He shelters us. In other words, he's active. He he doesn't just, just powerful, doesn't just care, but he acts. That first line in verse 3 is vital. He says, he will not let your foot be moved. He won't let your foot slip. As they're along the journey, there's mountains to traverse, there's deep valleys, and a slip of the foot can mean death to the traveler. The last time I visited my son Daniel in Colorado Springs, uh, he lives there, he goes to school there, uh, we climbed this mountain together. And as we climbed this mountain, we made it successfully up uh, to the top of the mountain, what a beautiful view, and we were coming back down. And as we were coming back down, Daniel's much more nimble and quick and strong and everything <laughs> than I am. And I was much more ginger coming back down. But as ginger as I was, my foot hit a rock that was not stable. And my foot slipped. And all of a sudden, I felt my head go forward beyond where it's supposed to go forward when you're walking. <laughs> and all I could think in my head was, no, don't let this happen. <laughs> and I hit the ground and I began to tumble, tumble, tumble. I Fortunately, was able to, to, the Lord helped me and uh, was able to s- stop myself. But it reminded me <clears throat> that when I'm in control, when I am the one who is making the steps, I'm not safe. I'm not. I'm in danger. I'm in danger of taking a misstep when I'm relying upon myself and my own abilities. I'm not capable of traversing up and down this mountain of life. I'm just not. And the Bible says you aren't either. And that's why we need God as our helper. For God, when he controls our steps, 
keeps us completely safe. He won't let us fall. And that's what the psalmist rested in, that the Lord himself would guide us steps. So we ask the question, well, how does the Lord do that? How does he keep us from slipping? And one part of this answer, I think, is found in Psalm 119, just a few couple psalms over. In verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In other words, God is ever ready to give us clarity about the next step in his strategy for us in our lives. But we need to submit, place ourselves under his authority, under his care, and be willing to follow his instructions. A decision of the will must be made for us to place ourselves under God's care, under his help. Because the way he helps us is to give us his word to direct us so that when we follow his word, then we are kept safe. He's not speaking to people who are looking at God and saying, I don't really care to follow your directions, but keep me safe anyway. He's talking about people who recognize that God is their creator and they're worshiping him. And now that person can say, the Lord is my keeper. He will not allow my foot to slip. He won't. Look at verse 5 and 6. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. He keeps constant care over us. He's not like a cosmic watchmaker, clockmaker, who who intricately designs this universe and then winds it up and then lets it go. But no, he is intimately involved in details that take place in our lives. So he steps into human homes and human lives. He steps into our homes, into history, into specific details of life to help us. That's the God he is. That's what he promises to do. I love Psalm Isaiah 64, from of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait upon him. He acts for those who wait upon him. Now the psalmist here specifically speaks of the danger of the sun and the moon, doesn't he? Now, the danger of the sun, I can readily understand. It's sunstroke is a very real danger. It kills people every, every summer in our own culture where water abounds. Uh, and that's certainly true in the, in the Old Testament time where, where water does not abound in the midst of a desert all along a journey. But what's this danger from the moon? How does the moon pose a danger to a person? Well, there's an ancient belief that exposure to the moon's rays could disorder the mind. It could disorient a person. Uh, we have an English word, uh, lunatic. Uh, it's from the Latin word luna, moon. Uh, so that's uh, the idea that the moon somehow disorients a person. And we understand that most people agree that fear seems to thrive in the darkness, in the night hours. Now, I'm not sure if the psalmist references this belief regarding the moon, but he is affirming that nothing, not in the daytime, not in the nighttime, can harm us when God is guarding us. We ask the question, does this promise then mean that nothing ever bad will happen to God's people if we're following him? The answer to that question is no. Uh, Job would tell us that man is born to trouble as surely as the sparks fly upward. (laughs) The Bible never lies to us by telling us that life will be easy and free from pain. That life will be free of trouble if we simply are faithful to God. And because of that, if we believe that lie first, if we believe that lie, we'll believe another lie. We'll say, well, I'm experiencing trouble and I've been trying to be faithful to God. So, since this painful trial is present in my life, God must be absent. That's not true. The Bible tells us to expect difficulty, expect hardship. 
But the promise of God's protection simply means that no injury, no illness, no difficulty, problem, or disaster will be able to separate us from God's perfect purpose in our life. God's purpose is so perfect that if we were to transport ourselves ahead of time into eternity future and look back over our lives, we would choose exactly what God chose for us. But because we don't know what God knows now, we wonder why He chooses and ordains certain difficulties. But I want you to know, friends, that God's design for us was a design that was fashioned from the beginning of time and that God intends to bring us faithfully through all the way to the end safely. So, for His people, He intends to bring us safely to His joy, to His peace, to His life, to His wonder, to His glory. That is His promise. And His promise to help us is to keep us in the midst of our troubles, in the midst of our, in the midst of our hardships, so that we will find ourselves moving forward to that ultimate destination. Last issue regarding God. He establishes my life now and forever. Look at verse 7 8. The Lord will keep you from, and you might underline this, all evil, all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. The great enemy that threatens our life, threatens that ultimate purpose, that joy, that life uh, with God, that peace, that sense of satisfaction and fulfillment of purpose, all those things that are bound up with God. The ultimate enemy is what? It's evil. It's evil. Evil around us, Satan, this world, evil within us, the sin nature and dwelling sin that, that seeks to move us away from God and towards self. Our lives, they're not ultimately threatened, ultimately threatened by sickness, by financial hardship, by emotional sadness, by human enemies. The great enemy that threatens our life is sin. And what's the promise we have? The Lord Himself will keep you from all evil. Sin and death, they won't be able to keep us from God's life. We ask, how does God protect us from evil? And here's the gospel. Well, this is why we rejoice in the gospel every day. We preach the gospel to ourselves every day because the gospel isn't something we needed at some point in our life to, to, to liberate us from the fear of hell. It's something we need in our lives every day because in the gospel, that's how God protects us from evil today and tomorrow and forever. And in the gospel, we find that Jesus came into this world and he took on flesh and he suffered so as to defeat evil once and for all, so that God in His grace through the power of the resurrection of Jesus could liberate us from the power of evil, from its defeat, from its woe, from the poverty that would bring to our soul, from its penalty and from its power over us that we don't need to follow after sin anymore. Friends, there is no other help that God offers us to establish life in the face of sin. Sin is our greatest threat. Jesus is the great Savior who conquered sin and evil completely. He came to rescue the souls of men. How good a God we have. When we embrace our helper through faith, nothing can keep us from enjoying God's eternal design. I love Romans 8. I know most do. And most of us do because we 
recognize the struggle this psalmist has happened. We recognize our need for help. And listen to what Paul writes in Romans 8. What should we say to these things? If God is for us, against us, who can be? And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No! In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure... (laughs) How can he be sure? On the basis of God's promises, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor anything that's going to come, not powers, height, nor death, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, who is our Lord. Amen. Friends, it is vital that we understand that God is not promising us a life free of troubles but He is promising us a life of safe passage through the troubles all the way to the journey's end. We need not fear the journey when we know that the road leads us safely home to our created purpose. I love the last line of this psalm. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forward and forever. He says, now this is so precious, but we can know it's all the way to eternity. This truth reminds us that God's resolutions, His solutions to our problems, never sacrifice eternity on the altar of the present. In other words, God never finds a solution for us today to resolve our hardship and difficulties, the hills that we're in front of, that threaten a joy in eternity. Every other source of help that this world offers us, that's exactly how they help us. They'll say, okay, I can help you now, But through the help that we receive now for this trouble, we're sacrificing a joy, a bit of life in the future. God says, I never do that. I'm going to be your helper now and forever and evermore. Many other helpers offer temporal comfort at the expense of eternal joy. And so I'd urge you, be cautious in the help you receive. When we need help, we're desperate for it. We're tempted to grab any stick that happens to be thrown in our face. But be careful, because God alone is the one who will help us and bring us safe now and forever. I want to conclude with two applications, two applications quickly. First, cry out to God for help instead of managing your problems in your own strength. Where, from where does your help come? We have some choices. We, we can look within for help. We can look outside to this world for help, or we can look above for God to help. Cry out in desperation for God to help instead of managing your own problems through earthly resources. We won't ever receive God's help and really enter into the joy of this psalm unless we acknowledge our helplessness. You know, there's an old saying that's common in this world. It says, God helps those who help themselves. Friends, I want you to know there's nothing, no statement could be more contrary to the gospel truth than that. God does not help those who help themselves. God helps those who humble themselves before Him and seek His grace. That's the gospel. The second application. Refuse any path of safety that steers you off the path of obedience. Refuse any path of safety that steers you off the path of obedience. This is the great danger that fear presents to us. We get afraid and we're looking for any path. You know, Moses could have resolved his problem with Pharaoh by remaining a herdsman in the wilderness. 
Daniel could have resolved his problem with the lions by simply neglecting prayer. Joseph could have resolved his problem with Mrs. Potiphar by sleeping with her. David could have responded, resolved his problem with Goliath by going home. Jonah, he could have resolved his problem with the Ninevites by getting in a ship and fleeing to Tarshish. Oh, wait a minute, that's right, that's what he did. <laughs> and what happened to him? <laughs> he landed in a whale of trouble. <laughs> In the midst of hardship and fear, we're tempted to flee like lemmings from a danger by leaping off the cliff to our deaths. Stay on God's path, friends. God will help you there. God will help you there. God is your helper. He will keep you from all evil. And I would close by asking you the question, do you know God is your helper? Do you know him as such? God offers himself to be the helper of everyone who comes to his son in faith, who recognizes their sins, keeping them from right relationship with Him, the holy, eternal God, and recognize that God in love and care sent His Son, Jesus, so that He could rescue us from our sin. He could reconcile us to this God who would be our Father, who would adopt us into His own family if we would only believe in Jesus. And I would ask you, have you ever committed yourself to Jesus that Jesus would be your Lord and your Savior, the helper of your soul to keep you from evil. God offers you this great help through His Son, Jesus. Receive it today. Receive it today. God is our helper. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your kindness to us. and Lord, I pray that you would help us to see our helplessness and to see the greatness of your helpfulness. And Father, help us that in the midst of danger and difficulty, we won't give in to the temptation to steer off a path of obedience in order to find help, present help, but that we would trust you to be our helper. And that we would trust you to be our helper now and forevermore. So Father, I pray that we would evermore be astounded by the greatness of your glory, by the greatness of your sovereign power. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.